step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Hey gang, just a reminder that I have a massive fall speaking tour approaching. I will very soon be making stops in Sacramento, San Diego, Tucson, and Scottsdale. Then in October, I've got stops in Texas, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin, and more. Get all the details and tickets at amy-bruni.net. I hope to see you out there, my spooky friends. Waterloo, Iowa, January 1943. Dear Sirs, I am writing you in regard to a rumor going around that my five sons were killed in action in November. A mother from here came and told me that she got a letter from her son and he heard my five sons were killed. It is all over town now and I am so worried. My five sons joined the Navy together a year ago, January 3rd, 1942. They are on the cruiser USS Juno. The last I heard from them was November 8th. That is, it was dated November 8th, U.S. Navy. Their names are George T., Francis Henry, Joseph E., Madison A., and Albert L. If it is so, please let me know the truth. I am to christen the USS Tawasa February 12th at Portland, Oregon. If anything has happened to my five sons, I will still christen the ship as it was their wish that I do so. I hated to bother you, but it has worried me so that I wanted to know if it was true. So please tell me. It was hard to give five sons all at once to the Navy, but I am proud of my boys that they can serve and help protect their country. George and Francis served four years on the USS Hovey, and I had the pleasure to go aboard their ship in 1937. I am so happy the Navy has bestowed the honor on me to christen the USS Tawasa. My husband and daughter are going to Portland with me. I remain, sincerely, Mrs. Alita Sullivan, 98 Adams Street, Waterloo, Iowa. My dear Mr. and Mrs. Sullivan, the knowledge that your five gallant sons are missing in action against the enemy inspires me to write you this personal message. I realize full well there is little I can say to assuage your grief. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I want you to know that the entire nation shares in your sorrow. I offer you the condolences and gratitude of our country. We who remain to carry on the fight must maintain spirit in the knowledge that such sacrifice is not in vain. The Navy Department has informed me of the expressed desire of your sons, George Thomas, Francis Henry, Joseph Eugene, Madison Abel, and Albert Leo, to serve in the same ship. I am sure that we all take heart in the knowledge that they fought side by side. As one of your sons wrote, we will make a team together that can't be beat. It is this spirit which in the end must triumph. 
Last March, you, Mrs. Sullivan, were designated to sponsor a ship of the Navy in recognition of your patriotism and that of your sons. I understand that you are now even more determined to carry on as sponsor. This evidence of unselfishness and of courage serves as a real inspiration for me, as I am sure it will for all Americans. Such acts of faith and fortitude in the face of tragedy convince me of the indomitable spirit and will of our people. I send you my deepest sympathy in your hour of trial and pray that in Almighty God you will find the comfort and help that only He can bring. Very sincerely yours, Franklin D. Roosevelt. I'm Amy Bruni, and welcome to Haunted Road. In the Naval Park in Buffalo, New York, three majestic ships float quietly in the water, part of a large-scale tribute to the United States military and the sacrifices made by soldiers who were wounded or killed in the name of freedom. Tens of thousands of people tour the ships every year, exploring the corridors where sailors walked, the bunks where they slept, the control rooms where they operated the ships, and the decks where they stood and watched for approaching ships, ready for the battles that lay ahead. All three of the boats, the USS Croker, the USS Little Rock, and the USS The Sullivans were decommissioned decades ago and are no longer in use by the Navy. But many people believe that the sailors who once manned those ships never left. Eyewitness accounts detail hearing phantom footsteps and mysterious whispers, objects flying across the room, and blurred faces in photos. Some people report seeing full-body apparitions in places where there are no other living people, including the burned face and torso of a man who died tragically in a bombing, the last to perish of five brothers who were all killed in the attack. The second largest city in New York, Buffalo sits on the shores of Lake Erie by the origin of the Niagara River. Today, Buffalo, also known as the Queen City, is mostly known for two things. It's intense snowy winters. The city gets 85 inches of snow a year, more than three times the national average. And it's intense spicy sauce that has become so popular it's served all over the country. But once, the city of more than 250,000 was a booming industrial town, which experienced the same economic downturn as many Rust Belt cities that lost manufacturing jobs to corporations moving their plants overseas. Though, after a decade-long revitalization effort, Buffalo is currently experiencing an economic turnaround and population growth. Planning began in 1976 for what would be the Buffalo and Erie County Naval and Military Park. It opened in 1979 as the largest inland attraction of its kind in the country. The waterfront park has three large tourable ships. The USS Little Rock is a guided missile cruiser, the USS The Sullivans is a Fletcher-class destroyer, and the USS Croker is a submarine. In addition, the park features a garden of war memorials, a museum of military history, and several other exhibits, including PTF-17, a fast patrol boat from the Nasty class that was used in Vietnam, plus planes, tanks, and a helicopter. It brings in more than 70,000 visitors annually. The largest of the three tourable ships at Buffalo Naval Park is the USS Little Rock, which, according to the history of the park, is a guided missile cruiser, the only surviving vessel from the Cleveland class of light cruisers in World War II. The ship is 610 feet long and housed 1,100 enlisted men at a time, in addition to 150 officers and 150 Marines. Originally built as a gun cruiser, the USS Little Rock is unusual because it has two bridges, as well as admiral's quarters designed for a Navy admiral to stay in. 
Built between 1943 and 1944 and commissioned in 1945, the cruiser was too late to see action during World War II, but still sailed before being decommissioned in 1949. During that time, the ship saw its first major accident. On October 31, 1947, a sailor named Donald H. Butler died when he was crushed between the ship and its buoy chain. After she was decommissioned, the USS Little Rock underwent a major remodeling starting in 1957, becoming a Galveston-class guided missile cruiser in 1960. As the park's history describes her work, she became a Cold War flagship of the Second Fleet and the Sixth Fleet. She patrolled the Atlantic from the Arctic Circle to South America and was a fixture in the Mediterranean Sea. She was a show of force during the turbulent 1960s and 1970s. In July 1962, a sailor named Richard Smith died of injuries received in the Missile House magazine from a high-pressure hydraulic line failure. A few years later, in 1967, the USS Little Rock assisted the USS Liberty when that ship was attacked by Israeli ships and aircraft. She aided in evacuating the wounded and assisted the Liberty with damage control efforts. Eight wounded men were treated in the ship's infirmary. In 1975, the USS Little Rock was the only foreign warship in the official flotilla at the reopening of the Suez Canal. The next year, she helped to evacuate civilians from Beirut during the Lebanese Civil War. That was her last major mission. The USS Little Rock was decommissioned in 1976 and donated to the Buffalo Naval Park in 1977. Today, spaces aboard the ship, such as the Admiral's Quarters, Fantail, and Forecastle, can be rented for events like parties and weddings, and people can arrange to stay overnight in original enlisted sleeping compartments. The second tourable boat at the Buffalo Naval Park is the USS Croker, a 311-foot-long submarine that is one of 77 Gato-class submarines ever constructed. 81 sailors served on board the boat, which the park describes as part of the most lethal submarine class of World War II. Commissioned in 1944, the USS Croker conducted six war patrols in the Pacific Theater, sinking 11 Japanese vessels, four of which were capital or military vessels, and seven auxiliary or support vessels. Its first successful torpedo strike was just seven days into its first patrol. After World War II, she was converted to a hunter-killer submarine with added sonar, radar, and quieting capabilities to combat. After World War II, she was converted to a hunter-killer submarine with added sonar, radar, and quieting capabilities to combat the Russian threat during the Cold War, but was soon outdated with the development of nuclear technologies. The USS Croker was decommissioned in 1971 and arrived at the Buffalo Naval Park in 1988. All three ships have reports of unexplained phenomena, but by far the ship with the most spookiness attached to it is the USS The Sullivans, a Fletcher-class destroyer, the largest and most important class of U.S. destroyers used in World War II. The boat, 376 feet long, housed 310 soldiers. She has green shamrocks painted on her main deck and forward smokestack. In tribute to the Irish-American family the boat is named after. The USS The Sullivans is named after five brothers who served on a similar ship in World War II, the USS Juno. George, Francis, Madison, Joseph, and Albert Sullivan were brothers from Waterloo, Iowa, who had asked to serve together on the same vessel. According to All Hands, the magazine of the U.S. Navy, the tragic story of the Sullivan brothers was the greatest military loss by any one American family during World War II. On November 13, 1942, their ship, the USS Juno, was torpedoed by Japanese forces during the Battle of Guadalcanal. Hit by a torpedo for the second time in less than 12 hours, 
the ship sank in about 20 seconds. While only 10 of the roughly 700 sailors aboard lived, many more of them survived the initial sinking. Estimates put the number of survivors in the water anywhere from 100 to 200 men, but they were left behind by the two American ships nearby. Those boats fled without searching for survivors, assuming that no one could be left alive and fearful of future attacks. Almost all of the men who hit the water eventually died, primarily from hypernatremia caused by drinking seawater and from shark attacks. Among the survivors was George Sullivan, the eldest brother who survived on a raft for several days. Another man, Alan Hines, shared that raft with Sullivan and was rescued after nine days at sea. According to an article published by the National World War II Museum, Hine recalled how he shared a raft with the eldest Sullivan brother, George, who was desperately calling out for his deceased kin and stricken by inconsolable grief and slowly losing his mind due to lack of water and shock. Four days after Juno sank, George stripped off all his clothes, declared to Hine that he was going below to take a bath, slipped off the raft, and swam away. Hine watched as George swam and suddenly disappeared, another victim of the sharks. According to Dan Kurzman's account of the sinking, Left to Die, George initially swam from raft to raft, using toilet paper to wipe off the men's oil-blackened faces to see if they were his brothers. Some survivors would later say that they believed either Albert or Joseph had survived the initial sinking, only to perish in the water. George had apparently told his mother, Alita Sullivan, that if they went down, they would all go down together a statement which sadly came true in November 1942. The family was not officially notified of their deaths until January 11, 1943 due to military secrecy, although according to a history of Alita Sullivan, one of the survivors had already written to their mother that, I am afraid all hope is gone for your boys. After the victory at Guadalcanal was secured, the Navy acknowledged that the Juno had gone down. But the true horror of the disaster wasn't revealed until after the war was over, when survivors shared their stories. After the death of the Sullivan brothers, their only remaining sibling, Sister Genevieve, joined the WAVES, Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Services, a unit of the Navy, in 1943. The Sullivan brothers became national icons, with recruitment posters of their five smiling faces aboard Juno on her commissioning day over the slogan, They Did Their Part distributed nationwide. That same year, the Navy dedicated the USS The Sullivans, the first ship ever commissioned that honored more than one single person. The boat was launched on September 30, 1943, with the brothers' mother, Alita, christening the ship. A film version of their story, The Fighting Sullivans, was released in 1944. The movie ends with a scene of Alita christening the USS The Sullivans and saying to her husband, Tom, our boys are afloat again. The USS The Sullivans saw action in the Pacific Theater shooting down eight Japanese planes, bombarding Iwo Jima and Okinawa, as well as rescuing American pilots and crew from burning or sinking vessels. She also saw action during the Korean War and the Cuban Missile Crisis, and was used as a training ship for the Sixth Fleet after the Korean War. The USS The Sullivans was decommissioned in 1965 and donated to the Buffalo Naval Park in 1977. With all of that wartime service and tragic history attached to the ships, it's no wonder there are so many accounts of unusual phenomena in Buffalo Naval Park. But at the park, those phenomena are largely considered a normal part of operations. John Branning, the superintendent of Buffalo Naval Park, said on a local newscast that he wasn't scared of the hauntings. It's just former crew members. We're all shipmates. They're going about their business. I'm going about mine. They leave me alone, 
I leave them alone. That's the way I look at it. People who visit the USS Little Rock have said they've heard phantom footsteps and mysterious whispers aboard the ship. A water tap in a sink is said to turn itself on, and people have reported seeing shadow figures and full-bodied apparitions, including a figure dressed in an admiral's uniform who is said to walk the deck. The ghosts of two sailors are believed to haunt the USS Little Rock. One is said to be lonely and often follows female visitors around the ship, and the other one likes to play tricks on guests. People also believe there is a spectral security guard aboard. According to hauntedhouses.com, people who are within earshot, but not in the same room as their belongings, have heard their bags being unzipped, someone rummaging around in their bags, and then zipped again. While some claim that these phantoms are due to injured sailors from the USS Liberty dying aboard the ship, the USS Little Rock took only eight of the walking wounded, and it doesn't appear that any of them died. Aboard the USS Croker, shadow figures have been reported and female visitors report being touched by unseen hands, especially in the submarine's bunk rooms. Visitors have heard instruments playing and radio transmissions, as well as footsteps and disembodied voices. As hauntedhouses.com describes them, the disembodied voices may be the spectral crew still serving their country. One male spirit is very clear with his voice and interacts with the living. Like the phantom security guard aboard the USS Little Rock, an unseen force also zips and unzips bags aboard the USS Croker, enforcing the submarine's strict rules against contraband, even in death. Aboard the USS Croker is a ghost named John, who is an angry spirit who pulls people's hair and breathes down their necks, according to those who have experienced the phenomena. According to hauntedrooms.com, he sometimes even blocks passageways and refuses to let people pass. Stomping sounds on the deck, as well as spectral growls, have been attributed to John. Many believe that he was a sailor who died while serving on the USS Croker and who resents non-Navy people coming aboard his submarine. The most haunted of the three, by far though, is the USS The Sullivans. According to Michael Swain's Haunted World War II, paranormal reports aboard the USS The Sullivans started soon after the ship was decommissioned. As he wrote, one of the first documented supernatural reports circulated soon after the ship was retired in 1969. According to one account, workers saw a heavy wrench levitate off a table and sail across the room. George Sullivan, the eldest brother and the one who survived the longest after the USS Juno sank, is said to haunt his namesake boat, searching for his four brothers. According to Haunted Buffalo, it is also said that when you attempt to photograph the museum of the Sullivan boys, George will not come out in the photo. It's said that if your camera batteries don't die before you can take the shot, a mysterious mist will cover his face. Journalist Phil Nye wrote an article on the haunted battleships of Buffalo, saying one tour guide reported being below decks and having a torso with a burned, disfigured face approach him at a fast rate of speed. The figure was floating above the ground and the employee believed it to be the ghost of George Sullivan. It's also thought that his brothers sometimes join him, some accounts describe five luminous forms in passageways. Moaning, footsteps, and knocking have been heard aboard the ship at night, and guards working the night shift have also reported hearing a voice that says, Hey, you. According to Haunted World War II, other employees say the ghosts on the USS the Sullivans, who many presume are one or all of the Sullivans, can get physical. One worker woke up on the hard deck of the ship. It's certainly not a place to sneak a nap during his shift, he had no idea how he got there and believed some mysterious and invisible force knocked him unconscious. Sometimes instruments aboard the ship continue to operate even when the power has been shut off. Haunted World War II described the account of one staff member, Eddie Kirkwood. 
He claimed that during a party on board the ship, the guests began to thank him for putting on a little bit of an extra show for them. Kirkwood was confused. He had no idea what they were talking about, but he played along. They then pointed to a spinning radar dish. It made for a pretty cool party effect, they all agreed. Kirkwood, however, didn't consider this naval version of a spinning disco ball entertainment at all. He knew that he had turned off the circuit breaker that killed the power to the radar. An elderly couple on a tour once praised the helpfulness of an officer who gave them directions, only to be told no officer was on board the ship that day. According to Haunted Buffalo, a group of Girl Scouts staying overnight on the ship also woke to find that all pictures in the ship's museum had fallen to the ground. Probably not what they signed up for. With all those stories, we should probably talk to someone in the know at the Buffalo Naval Park. Up next, I've got Shane Stevenson joining us. He is the director of museum collections at the park, and he's no stranger to the paranormal reports there. That's coming up after the break. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, so now I am joined by Shane Stevenson, who is the Director of Museum Collections at the Buffalo Naval Park. So thank you for joining me, Shane. I super appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, Amy. Happy to be here. So before we get started, I'm just dying to know, because I watched this in the news over the last few months, what is happening with the USS The Sullivans? Like, I saw she was taking on water. The pictures looked really scary. So what's the status there? The pictures didn't make it scary, but the actual event made it scary. So, yes, it was all in all uh, a really trying month and a half, two months. But we rustled up uh, many different organizations, uh, the Coast Guard, a salvage company, a local marine company, an environmental company. And we all worked towards a pumping her out. Uh, She had sank at our pier, which it was about 18 feet of water. and. She had about a million gallons of water on board and about 40,000 gallons of product or oil on board left over from her service uh, and from 1965. So we all worked slowly and diligently and we pumped the water out in a way that didn't put any extra stress on her hull. And we were able to raise her and then patch her and uh, repair her. And so right now she's stable. She is upright and floating, and now we're developing next steps for her to secure her for the next 50 or 75 years. That's amazing. The photo that I saw, I mean, like you said, she was, she was sunk. Just, I have such great memories of investigating there with ghost hunters. I was, just, I was so impressed by just the, the collections and the ships themselves, and just I really liked my time there, and I saw that, and my heart just sunk. So I'm really glad that you were able to to at least get her floating again. I'm, 
I'm sure there was damage to the collections inside and whatnot, but it sounds like you guys have assembled a great team to kind of get things hopefully put back together. Yeah, thank you. As my job, uh, you know, sometimes vernacularly called a curator, it was my job to pull off all of the artifacts that were displayed on board, recatalog them, see if we can get preservation and conservation team here to make sure that they can be preserved as best as possible. So that's what my summer has been. And I've mm-hmm. been working with a conservator and we've developed a really strong volunteer program that's all been trained. And so we are slowly preserving all that can be preserved from that ship. And thank you for being here uh, in the past. Oh, yeah. I'm always championing the Buffalo Naval Park online. I'm always retweeting all your tweets. I always tell people to go there. Um, I just think it's a really important spot. And so that being said, you know, my time there, obviously we were there for the ghosts, but, you know, we always try to be very respectful to whenever military history is involved um, in our investigations. But, you know, I did have some pretty wild experiences there, which I think a lot of people report. I think mainly I remember hearing a lot of voices. Adam and I heard many voices. We were in the the submarine, which I'm hugely claustrophobic. And every time I go into a submarine, (laughs) I'm just amazed at how people lived in those for months at a time. (laughs) Um, And uh, and then I remember also we had a a major experience with footsteps going overhead. So are those just kind of things that happen there on the regular? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Uh, The footsteps I have not heard as much, but certainly voices we have heard uh, throughout each of our ships. And it is extremely eerie, as you know, you know, to be here overnight. And uh, when you believe you're the only people on board, you know, it's it can be a very unique, uh, interesting experience for sure. Well, I think that when we investigate any vessel on water, it does create this kind of host of unusual circumstances and sounds that we're not completely familiar with. And so we have to kind of, you know, take that into consideration as we investigate. But the voices were pretty clear. And it's strange because they do sound just like male voices, um, sometimes kind of stern, or sometimes there. I, I remember I was hearing some chatter in another room. It sounded almost like they were laughing. And when we investigated with ghost hunters, it would be Adam and me, a camera operator, and a sound person. And so, you know, it's four of us on that entire ship. And so to hear voices is really eerie. It is. You know, there's some things that you can chalk up, Amy, to just being a ship that's in water that that moves and rolls and pitches with the wind and the water. But when you have an experience that is real enough to where it actually changes your behavior, Mm-hmm. Then for me, that's what my experience has been. Like I would um, spend the night on board the various ships multiple times in my working career here. And there's a potential moment where I hear something and I actually respond to it. Like I call back or I stop. And that is, that's, I usually can differentiate pretty quickly, just even unconsciously when you're walking through, oh, that's a creek, that's a creek, and you just keep going. Then when there's something that I actually stop and start talking to, uh, and then you realize that, you know, there's no one else there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. and, uh, so it changes your behavior. And that's something that's really uh, startling to me is that I was potentially so affected by it that I called back out or I stopped walking or, you know, something, you know, because of 
just that unconscious, you know, noise that you just normally hear on board. Yeah. Now, were you a, a believer in ghosts before you took the position at the Buffalo Naval Park? Um, I hadn't quite figured it out yet fully. Uh, I yeah. mean, ultimately. Uh, I haven't either, for what it's worth. <laughs> I think, and some people, when I have conversations about this, it's, you almost have to go down, you know, then you have to answer, like, almost like religion. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how far you want to go, but... You know, if I say if I'm a non-believer in an afterlife, if I have experiences, then I have to say, oh, well, now I have to start believing in some sort of higher being. Right. And sometimes people tell me, you know, that you don't have to get to that point. But no, I mean, I never really had anything on uh, before working here that would have led me to believe like, oh, there's something in the afterlife. Right. I mean, and it sounds like, you know, you, you come at it from like a pragmatic viewpoint, you know, and I'm very similar where even in all that I do, I will never tell people that ghosts are real. Like, I know I've seen and experienced very strange things. I believe it could be the spirits of people who've passed on and are still here for whatever reason, but I don't absolutely know. Yeah, that's always, I guess, the best uh, way of tackling it, Amy, is uh, if and when there's ever definitive proof, you know, maybe some people claim there is definitive proof, but you know, when I started, there was, you know, when I started working here in 2018, you know, there for the people that were on board many years before me, they just say, oh, you know, you might hear something, you might uh, see something, but just know that they're benevolent and you're, you're carrying on their story and their tradition. And uh, so you're pretty all set. That's a good way to handle it. What was your first experience where you were like, okay, this, there's something to this? just using the terminology hallways on ships are passageways right mm. so so i was walking down a passageway which connected two larger rooms or spaces and they both have those watertight uh doors on either side so you have to spin the wheel unlock one then you batten it down and then you walk through this little darkened passageway and then you unseal the other one and then you walk through to the other space so for that 30 seconds or whatever that where you're in the dark space the darkened space could swear i heard some scratching and uh like almost like a growl which was interesting mm. and uh again talking just how i mentioned a few minutes ago it made me alter my behavior so it didn't sound like a natural thing with the ship moving and creaking and you know i mean they're 78 79 years old all of our right. ships so uh you know, and they're prone to the elements. But I stopped and I said, you know, in my head, I said, wow, what was that? I didn't have a flashlight with me or anything. So I just kept going. And uh, that would have been my first experience. Have people come to you, like maybe visitors or whatever, and described some sort of wild experience they had where you were just left completely scratching your head? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it is very interesting and I'm not an expert in it, but there's some people that, you know, just reading and researching this, that people, you know, have sensitivities and there's a spectrum of sensitivity levels. And I have talked to many people that exhibit or, you know, mention that they have a sensitivity to spirits or uh, the unknown, so to speak. And they really have very interesting experiences that I don't have, right? Mm -hmm. If they have a sensitivity to it, they will experience stuff almost throughout the whole ship, they say. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have anything specific, but it's just talking to people on board. They say, oh, my God, you know, I was walking through the Little Rock or the Sullivans and almost every space that I went into, uh, I felt something. And I say, well, I don't have that sensitivity. So it's just a room to me, so to speak, or a space or something. But for someone that has that sensitivity, they say they experience a lot of different things on board. So, yeah, I mean, I could imagine that. I guess I don't have that sensitivity, but I mean, I feel like probably there's a lot of residual energy in that kind of spectrum probably left in in those kinds of places. A lot happened there over the years. So it makes sense. Has there ever been an experience either you have had or someone has come to you with that made you at all nervous? One other experience that I've had was probably right when the it's not related to the Sullivans, but we've heard many things about the Sullivans. I have not experienced them. I have been on board alone at night on the Sullivans, and I have not experienced anything. But people mention certainly in the mess decks where the crew ate, they can see a face by the what's called the scuttlebutt, which would be like the water fountain. And there's some uh, degradation to the face, for lack of a better word. Either part of it has been burned. Uh, I had not experienced that, but that can obviously that could be a pretty scary experience for someone if they see a, a face that has been burned with fire is kind of floating and appearing in front of them. Another experience I had on the Little Rock, and that's why I brought in the Sullivans, was it was right around when the Sullivans sank. And so all of the crew was working on the Sullivans on the main decks and things like that. And so I was the only person on board the Little Rock. And again, in one of those passageways, I was in my office and maybe about 15 feet away, there's a door, just a regular, what we call a panel door, but it looks like a door in your house, right? And it opened and shut. And I did one of those things again, changed my behavior. I called out. I said, I'm in here if anyone needs me. Just thinking that they were walking around, you know, and maybe someone was looking for me, some, some co, you know, a coworker or a crew. So I called out, I said, you know, I'm in my office if anyone is looking for me. And then nothing. So then I get on our walkie talkies and I say, hey, is anyone else on the Little Rock besides me? And everyone's like, no, we're all on the Sullivans doing work. And so I was like, oh, okay. That can catch you off guard, especially when you're completely alone. You're like, okay, if you can move that, what else can you move? <laughs> Right. And again, my, I don't think of it in those terms of they're moving objects phys- in the physical world, but it's really tough to you know, say what else that could have been. I, I mean, yeah. if a door opens and shuts on board, I mean, we were probably moving that day and you know, sometimes the doors move an inch this way or an inch that way based on our swaying and um, you know, moving starboard to port a little bit, just rocking with the waves but not something like that. Did you notice an uptick in any paranormal activity when the Sullivans sank? Did anybody report anything extra when that happened? I do not have a recollection that would have been a prime time. There was a lot of the responders were down below, you know, surveying and analyzing and stuff. I don't remember hearing any stories from them. Now, that would have been their first time on board. Right. Well, and also there was, it's probably just a flurry of, of things you were all doing. You, you know, it's one of those things, sometimes you don't notice the paranormal unless you're kind of sitting in silence for whatever reason, which I assume everyone was working pretty fervently to try to get things fixed at that point. You know what, Amy, that's true. That's absolutely true. Now, one of the areas that was really uh, 
took a lot of damage was the mess deck where I say people have seen mm. their face that's um, has been burnt. Even today, there's no electricity on board. So if someone goes down below, it's dark. I have been down, you know, collecting the artifacts and taking them off board and taking them to our conservation room. But your mind is really focused on other things and uh, you're scrambling and scurrying. And, you know, maybe just at that moment, those moments were not being as sensitive as we may be to that situation. Mm. Maybe kindred spirits needs to come investigate and we'll see. It's a, it's a hollow ship right now. And, you know, there's, there's one death uh, from one sailor and in world war two. And uh, the family is very involved here. Mm. And uh, it would be interesting to see, you know, of course with the five brothers and their, untimely passing altogether in 1942. Uh, Certainly any warship brings that sort of traumatic human experience where things can not go according to plan, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Which of these ships would you say is like the most haunted? To me, I would say the Little Rock, our cruiser USS Little Rock is certainly it's the largest. It did have the most uh sailor deaths on it and it was only i think three Mm -hmm. during her service but uh, sullivan's was one uss croker uh had some injuries but no sailors passing or perishing on board so the little rock with three sailors during her service perishing on board and even we had someone pass when he was visiting he was an old little rock sailor Mm. And he was spending the night on board and unfortunately had a heart attack on board and passed away while he was in his bunk. Wow. That's, I mean, that's kind of a full circle moment. <laughs> now, do you guys do ghost tours or anything still or or nighttime tours? Well, I think with the COVID pandemic that really oh. slowed that sort of uh, event on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're slowly bringing it back. Yeah. For those that are interested in being here. One of the things that we believe can cause hauntings is sometimes just objects themselves. You know, sometimes things will be brought from other locations that might have some sort of tragedy associated with them. Um, is there anything like that on display there that might've come from someplace that could maybe have some energy with it that might be causing some of your activity? That is a great question and one that I would be hard to come right off the top of uh, my head. I know certainly we have diaries of men that had bad experiences during World War II. We do have a POW uniform from Vietnam that's on display. For those that are still MIA from the Vietnam conflict, they uh, create bracelets. Mm -hmm. And so we have bracelets on display with their names and uh, the last date of when they were not missing and when they were still with their platoon or whatever. So I believe those few items in the Vietnam exhibit can probably have that bad essence to it, I think. We found that a lot with places that display a lot of kind of military memorabilia, you know, depending on where it came from or, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily the location, it's the items themselves. And so, you know, maybe just over time, as things happen, maybe pay attention to where or what they might be around. And maybe it's not even something associated with someone who served on the ship. It could be someone completely different. That is a 
that definitely skews my thinking in a different direction, which I hadn't considered before. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I should see, you know, around our Vietnam exhibit, you know, we have a jacket from someone that was killed, a local, we have a jacket from a local nurse that was killed. Right off the top, we have three or four items of people that perished in Vietnam that are on display, their personal effects and their items. So I'll try to be more sensitive to that. I'm always thinking outside the box, like what else could it be? You know, because sometimes we're investigating places that don't really have a lot of death or tragedy associated with them particularly, but like we'll have a ton of activity going on. And so it's kind of our job to narrow it down, you know, look, what else happened in the area or are there items here that it could be or emotions running high for other reasons? You know, there's all sorts of theories out there. So but that being said, if people want to visit the park, what should they do? Is it open year round? Are there better times to visit? Or Yeah, sure. Thanks, Amy. Uh, we are open because we're in Buffalo. We're only open for the spring, summer, and fall. So we usually open up, you know, the last weekend in March. And we run right through about Thanksgiving. So around roughly around the last uh, weekend in November, and then we do shut down for the winter. Our website is Buffalo Naval Park, all one word, dot org or dot org, Buffalo Naval Park dot org. And they can purchase uh, tickets online. They can search through some photographs and, and really learn about our park right from our website. And certainly we're on social media with Facebook and Instagram and our YouTube channel as well. So. I remember being there and it was very cold. <laughs> so um, that's kind of uh it's kind of the MO with our shows. We go usually when things are uh kind of off season. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was winter when I went there because I, I have a picture of me standing on the little rock in a great big winter coat. So I'm that sure. makes absolute sense. It could have been in the fall when we're beginning to wind down. And yeah, the the ships themselves. Uh, get as hot and what for those areas that are not heated or air conditioned, they get as cold as it is outside or they get as hot as it is outside, depending on the season. So very much worth a visit. I highly recommend it to everyone. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and we'll have to chat offline and maybe we can arrange a visit soon. I think that'd be really great. Great. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm happy to be here and I hope your viewers and listeners enjoy it. Investigating places like the Buffalo Naval Park is tricky because you want to get to the bottom of the haunting, but you also want to be incredibly respectful of the people who served and sacrificed so much for our country. I urge anyone investigating a location steeped in military history to do your due diligence before doing so. Remember, this is not a novelty. Most likely, any spirits you encounter feel they are still performing what they consider to be a sacred duty. Nevertheless, seeking spirits or not, I highly encourage a trip to the Buffalo Naval Park. I really enjoyed my time there, and I know you will too. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni with additional research by Taylor Hagedorn and Cassandra Day Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima El-Kayali, 
with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at GrimAndMild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.